over the course of the next several weeks, we'll be looking at aspects of harvest. And this morning, you know, we're going to jump right into that, Matthew chapter 13. So as you're finding Matthew chapter 13, I will uh, ask a few questions, kind of a promise, as think, we begin to think about this. But there's something to be said about preparation. I was having a, a brief dialogue in preparation for this this sermon and was looking at some information and was considering some things. And, and I'm, I'm reminded of an avocado tree that's planted in my backyard when we lived in Texas. Now, you know, the funny thing about this avocado tree is, is that it bared no avocados. And it's, it's, a, it's a chore, I'm going to tell you, to, to grow anything in, in the right place. But what we ultimately learned when it come time to move it was that it probably didn't have the right soil. It didn't have the right atmosphere. It wasn't the right setting for that specific tree. People grow avocados in Texas, trust me, they do. But they don't grow them over a yard that's been, you know, built on sand, you know. When you live in a part of the world that close to the Gulf Coast, there's lots of sand in the substrate because they want the water to run back out. But there's this moment where we have to begin to ask ourselves, and even the testimony of my own son, it was not un unlike the testimony of me in my own life, where, where there's a moment where we're like, was I yet ready for the gospel when the gospel reached out to me? And I, I suggest that sometimes we're kind of like that avocado tree. We, we just... We just need a place that's right for us. And there's this moment. We begin to look at Matthew chapter 13, and, and the question here is, is that, you know, what is your, what is your heart like in, the, in the, the spectrum of seeing all that we're going to see in this verse? So when you find Matthew chapter 13, if you will find verse number one and stand in honor of God's word, we'll read through the first nine verses here. Jesus does this beautiful job of teaching throughout the New Testament with regard to all the parables and all the lessons that he teaches and, and one for us today it says on the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore then he spoke many things to them in parables saying behold a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seeds fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell in the stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away, and some fell on thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Would you pray with me? Well, we pray that this morning that as we contend with the matter of, of harvest, as we begin to look at it, we realize the harvest begins. It begins in preparation. It begins in consideration of the, of the atmosphere, of the, of the everything that goes into seeing a seed planted and grown. We pray, Lord, that we would be about the beginning process as much as we are about the end process. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I have noted in church life, and something that I hope that you'll, you'll wrap your head around with me, and, and, don't, and nobody here has made any comment to me, so don't, don't take this personally, although the comments have been made in the course of my life. People are excited about things like baptism. Right? Amen? I'm excited about baptism. 
right? Baptism is a part of the greater journey that, that happens when somebody goes from becoming, you know, interested in knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus and then following him. And there's this picture of submission to saying, I believe these things about Jesus and I now follow him. But people don't typically just get baptized. There's usually a lot of things that happen before that moment where they begin to realize their need of, their, of salvation, their lostness. They, under, they, they uncover their sin. They, they realize the magnitude of the separation that's between them and God. And so what will happen is as a pastor, people will come to me and they'll say something about whatever, you know, the baptistry not being filled or something. You know, we haven't seen anybody get baptized in a while. And I'm going to say, that's an astute observation. How many seeds have you planted? And they'll look back at me and they'll say, oh, hey. And they'll, I'll say, how many times did you water the seeds that you planted? And they'll be, that's your job. And I'll say, oh, no, 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 no. It's our job. Amen. It's our job. And then, you know, they'll say something about, well, what about that one family that used to come? And I'll say, the ones that were choked out by all the criticisms of all the things about their life when people in church talked about them. And they'll say, I'll say, it wasn't me that did that, by the way. And they'll say, oh no, now you're meddling, Brother Ben. And, and you just go through the whole process where you look at every stage that we're going to look at when we talk about harvest. And we're going to start here this morning with looking at these seeds that are planted in, in these various different soils. And we're going to understand something about the preparation. And part of the preparation is something that you need to hear me say is that if you want a harvest, then you got to be busy Amen. at the preparation point. You don't just walk out into, the, into the, the field and say, look at this bountiful harvest. If you harvest somewhere where you have not planted, it's because somebody else was busy. If you water where somebody else has planted, somebody else was busy. And if you plant and you don't harvest and somebody else harvests, man, that's exactly what... what the Apostle Paul is talking about in, the, in the, the, the introduction here that we watched, the little video, this scripture that's read there is that sometimes you'll just be the planter, you will never see the harvest. Sometimes you'll be the waterer, you'll never see the harvest. Sometimes you'll be the harvester and you will never have seen any planting or watering. But trust me, at every stage it has to be done. There are no accidents when it comes to this. There is somewhere along the way, oftentimes people will say, Something and, and even if they don't see the evidence of somebody planting in their life, there's some grandma somewhere on her knees begging God for their grandchild. Or there's someone in the church that knows about their neighbor and has been told by their neighbor not to talk to them about this Jesus thing that goes to God every single day for them. Or there'll be somebody somewhere that'll just, will see them and realize that they need Jesus and they'll just cry out. And there's somewhere along the line where God is working through people uh, we see this picture, and, and to get to the scripture and, and help you see it, one of the opening things that you'll notice is that Jesus is drawing a crowd. And point number one, if you're going to take notes this morning, is that Jesus doesn't have trouble drawing a crowd. Once you look at your neighbor and say that to them this morning, Jesus doesn't have trouble drawing a crowd. When Jesus enters into the scene in the scriptures, you see him begin to talk to people, and everywhere he goes, there's a multitude of people that will gather around him. Verse number one, on the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to, to him. This, I mean, this is a, a repetitive, habitual thing in the, the culture that is around Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, there's a crowd that's gathering. And it's noteworthy because when it comes up in Scripture, there's not a lot of fluff in the Bible. I mean, some
They're like, man, I don't, I don't want to read that. But it's there on purpose. Every word in this book is there on purpose. There's not a superfluous amount of information. Whenever it talks about there being a crowd gathered, it means that it's important. It means that this is unique or is, is strange or is different. And as a result, it talks about everywhere that Jesus is going, there's a crowd. There's this crowd is gathered to him. So much so that he got into a boat and sat. So the crowd is gathered up and he's like, well, the best platform for me is to get a little distance from him so I can see as we get out in this boat. Almost like the picture of a fisherman. And this isn't even a fishing parable. But he gets into this boat and he sits. And in his culture, it was common for the, for the, the speaker to sit and the audience to stand, by the way. And it says, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. I don't know about you, but whenever I see this picture, and you may not be as, as in love with it maybe as somebody who looks at it as frequently as I do, and I, hopefully you look at it frequently, uh, and I'm not trying to discourage you from you know, your study or whatever. What I'm saying is, is that I look at these moments and these fine details, and I see Jesus, and I see these pictures, and I was like, wouldn't it have been something to have been one of these first century, I mean, this moment of, of people that are just there to hear Jesus speak for the first time. That would have been something to behold. We can try our best to recreate it, and they try on TV and in movies, and we try to preach about it in such a way that brings it to life. And I hope that you get the sensation that you are right there in the crowd when we read through it together, that your mind's eye captures it. But man, I just imagine what it was like for this group of people to be gathered, and Jesus is like, let me step out here so that everybody can see me. And then he just begins to teach. And the multitude is there standing. They're, they want so badly what he has that they're willing to stand. Man, maybe next week we'll take all the chairs out of here and we'll just stand. Well, I'm not Jesus, and, and, and trust me, you know, that, that's, it's not, I'm sure it's not as good, but you know what I'm saying. You guys would revolt. You would say, well, let's go gather the chairs from the FLC. Let's go. I'm not going to stand, Brother Ben. You know where people will stand? And, and, you know, it's transformed over the course of my lifetime, and I'm grateful that it has been. Anybody ever get up early the day after Thanksgiving and go get some ridiculous line somewhere to buy underpriced electronics? Purses or bedding or dishes or whatever the sale is? Anybody in here ever camp overnight? Anybody ever here get in a line for a concert ticket or something and they had to wait for them to go on sale? I know it's all online now. I realize, and, and now there are, I mean, I'm sure that if I looked hard enough, I probably could find the Black Friday sales are already started, you know, right? I mean, but people, what will people stand for? They'll get in line, and they'll stand for something that they really want to see, something that they really want to hear, and that is the picture of Jesus in this moment. The preparation for this harvest is beginning already for him, and then he realizes he's drawing people out, and they are eager to be a part of it. Those who want to harvest will, will rise and they will come to be with Jesus where Jesus is working. And this is a picture for us. And they are there to listen. Verse 3 says, Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. Point number two, if you're taking notes this morning, is, is that there is seed to sow. Did you realize that over the last couple of weeks, that there's been a, a table with some Bibles on it in, in, our, in our, our lobby and just a, a 
thing on the announcements and a sign up there that says free Bibles, take these Bibles. You know, I gathered those up, and this is not the first time I've done this in a church. When, one time at a church um, in Missouri, I gathered up Bibles from one end of the church to the other end, and over 100 Bibles. I had a, I had a shopping cart full of Bibles when I built this table out here. There is seed to sow. We got Bibles laying around in our houses, in our Sunday school classrooms, and we're hiding it in our heart, we're hiding it in our rooms, and I don't know if that's right or not. I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't believe it is. The truth is, is that Jesus says that a, a, a sower goes out to sow, and when he takes with him his seed, he doesn't go out there and throw junk. He doesn't go out there and throw rocks. What he does is he, throw, he sows seed. And so if you want to have what needs to be sown, you need to have the right kind of seed. And the right kind of seed that you need is right here in God's Word. And if you need a Bible to give somebody, go out to that table and grab one and take it with you and then hand it to somebody. And say, I just wanted you to have this. Now you might find the response is just like what we see here. It says in some seed fell by the wayside. Not everyone will receive it. You know, one of the most astonishing pictures in all of, of my life and, and Christianity is, is that hearing Gideon speakers will come and they'll talk and they'll talk about the work of the Gideons. By the way, you know, we had a Gideon speaker here. Gideon's is a neat ministry. It's something that I get behind because it's Bibles. But they'll go to college campuses and they'll stand outside of their, of their classes and they'll hand them out and they'll have permission to hand them out. And you know, it's one of the most, one of the most insulting things that I see when you see this picture is, is the students will take those Bibles and they'll throw them in the immediate trash can they can find. And they'll pile up around that trash can. And you'll see some faithful Gideons will go back and collect them and they'll hand them out to other students. I don't know about you, but if you are serious about that seed, you might be thinking about, let's gather up this seed that's not getting used right. Let's make sure it gets planted. But some people will not receive this. Expect that. Yes. Expect it. I'll tell you this. When I grew up in my own life, I wasn't always ready yet to receive Jesus. And I went to church off and on throughout the course of my lifetime, and I'll tell you, I heard that message over and over and over again, and it fell off the wayside of me. It wasn't in my life yet. I wasn't yet ready for it. How about you? We see this picture here when we see it, and it says that this seed that's scattered out, it says, and birds came and devoured them. You know, it's amazing to me. I, I, I talk about this disaster recovery in Texas because it's a vibrant life moment for me, but there was this cool moment in some of the house cleanouts that were happening, and somebody, one of my church members comes to me, and he brings me this Bible, and he's like, found this Bible, we're cleaning out this house, and you know, everything in the house is destroyed, but this Bible somehow is in this little wooden box, and it has survived, and it's intact, and it's not wet, and he's like, and there's a name in it. I don't know what to do with it. I said, let me see it, and I just got on the internet, and you know, the internet's a powerful thing, and I just started trying to find some people that knew this person. And I'll be if I didn't put that Bible in the mail and send it to some family member of somebody that owned that Bible. You know, the scriptures are out there and there's such a way that, that it will just be scattered everywhere because there's plenty of seed. There's enough Jesus for everybody, that's for sure. Amen. <laughs> but we also know that sometimes we come across other houses where they cleaned out and the family Bibles and the personal Bibles were destroyed. You know what you do with most of the stuff that happens in the flood water? Because the flood water is now disgusting because it's been both mingled with sewer and rainwater. It just goes in the trash. You know, not every bit of your effort will always be received and some of it will get destroyed. It goes on to say that some fell on stony places. Man. Hmm. I don't know about you, but my heart wasn't 
wasn't yet ready for, for Jesus. Uh, there was such a moment in my life, and I talk about this story frequently because it's vibrantly real to me, and I hope that if you have a similar story that you don't give up on people because people didn't give up on me, but there were moments in my life where I was being invited regularly to church where I was like, no, thank you. Some of you are investing in some people that are looking at you with a great big no thank you every single Sunday. Don't give up on them. There might be stone there today, but you are just gently loving them in a way where you're like, here, let me help you with that stone. Let me move this one out of your life and you carry it off and put it on a rock pile somewhere else. And you come back to them and you're like, no. And you're like, well, wait, there's another stone. Let me get that one while I'm here. And I'll just keep inviting you to church and I'll just keep working on this soil until there's enough ground that when the seed gets planted, it reaches. This is not some of the work of us in this church. That we ought to be working on people's lives and we ought to say, hey, this isn't yet ready to plant. I'm going to love you where you are. You said no to me today, but I'm going to love you where you are. And I'm going to keep coming to you. And you need to keep investing in people because there's enough seed for everyone. And there's enough Jesus in that seed. That the stony place, it says that there's not much earth. You know, I liken it to that avocado plant, that tree. I'll tell you what, it was kind of funny because I mowed around that thing diligently. I, I wanted to make sure that it was, you know, it was just out there. I watered it and whatever else. And then after, after enough time had gone by, it was as dry as the driest timber I'd ever seen in my life. And one day I bumped it with the edge of just the very smallest part of the lawnmower and it just broke. And I was like, well, I guess that's not going to work. There wasn't enough soil beneath that plant for it to reach down to and grab a hold of. You see, it doesn't drink from the top, it drinks from the root. Some of us, some of us in this place, our hearts are hard, and there's not enough earth for this message to reach down into them. Some of us know what it's like to talk to people and share with people that act just like this too. But don't give up. Do not give up. Because I was not yet ready to receive the gospel in my life when, that, when those invitations came to me diligently. And those people that you're reaching out to might not yet be ready. And you might be here under protest to say, today saying, that's me, I'm not yet ready, but I'm here because I want to keep the peace in my household. And is there a story for you here? It goes on to say, that stony place where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. You know, in the course of my life, I, I, I made a decision to follow Jesus. Not unlike my son, um, I had made a decision prior in my life. And what I had said was is that I was in a religious setting enough to, to understand the words and to repeat the things. And I wanted to make sure that the people were happy. So I just said yes and got baptized. And I'll tell you what, the next few years of my life, I was completely deceived thinking that I was the real deal. When I knew I later, I would later believe firmly and still to this day will believe that I was, I was not anywhere near Jesus. Because what I had was just about this much earth. And then when all the temptation and all the other things came in, it proved to me that I had no roots in Jesus. That I had no real relationship with him and I did not know him. But I was worried about what other people would think, so I was afraid to say it. Then one day I just realized I didn't care what anybody else thought. I didn't care. And that's how, one of the ways as a pastor that I know somebody's serious about this, when I don't have to chase them, they chase me. When I give them the information, they're like, Brother Ben, when you get baptized, when you get baptized, Brother Ben, when you get, Brother Ben, can we get the baptism? I'm just like, 
man, you are serious about this. But when I got to drag them out in the aisle, I'm thinking, man, am I doing the right thing or not? Pinch of soil? You know, this is something that's real to me. Something that I believe. Time will tell the tale. It will tell the story. If you really follow Jesus, no one will have to convince you to do things that Jesus has commanded us to do. You will rise to do them. You will grow in such a way that you want to be a part of it. And that stone, that, that deep, deep rock that is holding your roots from getting any deeper, it will, you will not be easily discouraged. Instead, you will say, no, I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to Jesus today. No depth. You know, I, I learned this, and, and I, I said this, and I had this kind of expression when I went to school. Went to a Christian university in Missouri. It's where I kind of got the majority of my, of my undergrad degree. And one of the things that I learned was is at Christian universities, there's just as much sin as anywhere else. They just are better at hiding it. Kind of like church. Mm. Don't get me going. The reality is, is that what I said was is that the miles are... But the miles of Christians, they go out in every direction. I can see them. They're miles and miles wide. But they are inches deep. And what I long for is people that will be deeply rooted in Scripture and deeply rooted in God's Word and they will be planted and they will be prepared for, the, for the, the magnitude of what's coming. And the thing that is is that when we look out upon this campus, you just see people and man, they could do the, the bless you's and the amens and whatever and then you would come to chapel services and it would be barren. Chapel was obligatory. You were obligated to go to so many a semester in order to get your chapel credits. And by the time people got those chapel credits sorted out, by the end, empty. I don't get busy. But I'm going to tell you the truth. That was hard for me. Because you know what I wanted so badly when I got to that school? I wanted to have this deep, rich learning experience at school. I wanted to be amongst other believers that were thriving and were engaged in the process. And I got there and I realized this isn't very much different than high school. People pursuing their own desires once and they just are under this banner. I want to be a part of a group of people that are digging in. That are reaching deep into that soil. That are growing because they are finding the, the living water. Because their seed is not scorched. Their, their growth is not easily diminished. Harvest starts when we plant in the right soil. Point number three is the obstacles to the seed are numerous. We're not even through all of them yet. Verse seven says that some fell among thorns and thorns sprang up and choked them. You know, in my own journey, and I, and I just will lean on this for this sermon just for you guys to understand it. I, I got to a place where then when I started to become somewhat entangled with or in, engaged with the possibility of being more in church life, that I would go to church, but I would have my church friends, and then I would have my other friends. And the other friends didn't understand church, and the church friends didn't understand other. But as long as I balanced the two pretty well, nobody asked me any questions. I will tell you flat out that there was a moment in my life, and this might speak to some of the students that are here, it might speak to some of the adults that were students once upon a time. If you looked at me from one angle, my coaches and the people that I worked for when I was in high school, they would say, He's a good guy. And then you look at it with me with my other friends and you'd say, that dude's just a punk. Anybody in here know how to live two lives? Don't admit it in front of me if you can't admit it for, for God. But we have these two separate lives where we're out here before people. I tell you the truth. That, that you can hide, but God sees you. 
And I was being tangled up so badly by the thorns of my life. I don't blame my friends for the bad stuff that I did, but I will tell you their influence was choking me to death. It was choking me to death. So much so that I had a real reconciling with my Savior sometime later. Because when I finally did make a decision to follow Jesus, I wanted him to be my Savior. I wanted him to rescue me from hell. I wanted him to take me out of the depths of, of the eternity before me. I needed that. But I did not want anybody to be in charge of my life. And to be choked on by all that other stuff, I'll tell you the truth is, is that what happened is when I realized about his lordship, then I surrendered to him. And it's part of the big deal that I talk about when people are baptized. We now follow Jesus. He's in charge of your life. It is not accidental that you have a king and you haven't given your life away on accident. You are giving it away intentionally. That's why when they chase me and say, will you baptize me? I say, I think now you're ready. Because what you're saying is I want to follow him. And there's this picture of all these numerous distractions. And there's this moment when I begin to surrender my life first and then surrender to his call second that I understood his lordship. And I had to shed all those things that were choking on me, that were choking me out, that were taking me away from God. The last little bit of this, and you heard it in the dedication, I thought it was such a powerful thing because this was already in the works that that verse was one of the verses that popped up here. Uh, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop. Some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. There there's, has to be a strategic moment in our lives where we begin to say, Lord, where do you want us to plant? What do you need us to do? How can we invest in people? Because it's everything in the planting process. You have to pick the right kind of seed that goes in the right type of soil with the right type of moisture content, with the right supply of water, with the right air temperature, with the right amount of sunlight. All of this stuff matters. And with God, there are no mistakes because he can make all of that come together in your life. And the problem is, is that he's waiting on us to be faithful in the planting. There's somebody out there right now that has all the water and all the light and all the air temperature they need and everything. They got the right kind of soil and what they're waiting for is the word. And they're waiting for people like us to bring them one of those Bibles from the lobby and say, I want to talk to you about the thing that changed my life. Let me plant this into your life. Because in the course of my life, I wasn't ready for it, I wasn't ready for it, I wasn't ready for it, and then I was ready for it. And I am so grateful that Jesus just sends sowers out to just keep scattered because there's plenty of seed. And there's got to be lots of faithful people. There's got to be moments when we just continually, continually work at it. Until we get a harvest, because there is no harvest without a seed. And there is no seed without preparation. You know, one of the reasons that we do so many different things and that we're trying to accomplish so much at our church is, is that we are trying to help people prepare for the possibility of hearing from God. We are removing all of the obstacles. You know why it's important, Brother Ben, that the light bulbs work? All the obstacles out of the way. I don't want you looking at a burned out light. I want you looking into God's word. I know why it's important when Brother Ben, and, and he works with the CJ, and he works with Andre, and he works with Barry, and he works with, with, the, with the deacons, and he, you know, I want to take away all the obstacles. Yeah, it's not perfect. Trust me, it's not perfect. But you know what? Now everybody's looking at the light bulbs. Focus. I shouldn't have said it. I know. I want you guys to understand that when we do things in the community, when we do things, when we serve, when we do trunk or treat, when we hand hot chocolate at football games, when we, when we do pumpkin patches, when we do all these things, we are reaching, we are discipling, we are sending. This passage is about your heart, it's about your church, it's about your community, it's about all three, and if you don't learn to come to Jesus with preparation, 
you're going to see that the harvest will be lean. One of the things I pray for regularly is that the carpet will mildew and mold from all the water back and forth to the baptistry. How about you? One of the things that I pray is that we'll have to just think about when we get to a certain breakover point where we have to say, all right, now we need to have two services. One of the things that I think about is how can we reach our community so people know that Jesus is real? How can we be a part and how can we take away all the stones and all the thorns and all the things so that when people hear the scripture it plants deeply into their life? Would you join me in a harvest that starts with preparation? Would you join me in praying for all of these things and not just waiting for your staff to do it, but you do it? You see it and you tackle it and you take out the obstacle and you manage the problem and you say Brother Ben, I think that it would be better if people didn't have this problem when they got here. I'd say, Amen. Amen. When there's an army of people who are ready to prepare, the harvest will be plentiful. And we'll be begging for more workers, won't we? Amen. But I'd like to only have to beg for more workers when all these workers are working. Instead of begging these people who are waiting on somebody else to do it. If you can't say amen. Okay. We're going to have an invitation here. Um, and fourth point, I know some of you are like, there's number four, brother, don't forget number four. And number four here, as we draw this up to an invitation, is that good prepared soil produces. We need this atmosphere here to be the right temperature, to be the right soil, to be the right moisture content, to be the right atmosphere. So that when Jesus is introduced to people, people respond. And the invitation is, is Lord, do in me this first, and then in the whole church next, and then our community. If you want to be challenged to the level of having a harvest, you have to be challenged to be at the preparation stage right now. Would you stand with me today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, we thank you that as we come to Scripture that we are challenged. That we are reminded, Lord, that there are some in our number, Lord, some in our community, some in our family that aren't yet ready for this. But I believe the gospel can break through all of those objections and all of those obstacles and it can get right down to the good soil in each and every one of us. Because I believe that today is the day of salvation. And I believe that each and every one of us needs to be a part of this. There's no part of this group that doesn't get to prepare well, let us be a church that is committed to preparation, committed to planting, committed to making use of every inch of this space, every lives, every inch of the world to be the fields by which your word is planted. I ask, Lord, that you would move on us, that we would be great in the preparation. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.